Romans 16, 1 through 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristopolis. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for the fact that you use people um, who are willing to speak. So God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for his courage to speak up, to live out the life that you had called him to. And I pray that you do the same in our hearts and minds, that the scripture that we read isn't just something we hear, but it's something that we are able to comprehend, understand, believe, and live out. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me introduce you to our sister, Phoebe. Well, let me introduce you to our sister, Jessica. I remember the first time I was introduced here at Boulder Church. The year was 2015. Now I know to you that might seem like it's very close until I remind you that in a couple months we will be in 2019. It's almost mind boggling, but the year was 2015, summer 2015. JFIT and Eli were both away at the GC meetings in San Antonio, so Jay Murdoch got the incredible honor to be able to introduce me for the very first time here. Now just remember, Jay and I had known each other for no more than like a day and a half at this point. So he got up in front of church, um, and he, when he introduced me, he said, yes, and so when you see Jessica, I want you to go say hello to her and give her a huge hug. Okay, and so I thought, okay, you know, that's fine. But after church ended, he was so worried. Before even connect groups began, he bolted to me, so stressed out, because he thought I might be one of those people that did not like to be hugged by strangers. 
Some of you are like that. So if someone got up here and said, oh, go hug so-and-so, everyone just mob them and hug them. So he was really worried that I was going to be angry with him, but I told him, rest assured, I'm fine with the hugs. I'm super excited to meet everyone. Um, and so he took a deep breath and was okay at that point. I've been introduced many times, and I've also heard very many introductions since then. And I've come to realize that there's something quite unique and very common about an introduction. I'm sure many of you have been introduced before, whether it was formally or informally. And sometimes I've noticed that um, when an introduction is made, it's almost always positive. When we introduce a friend, a family member, a colleague, we do so by highlighting their strengths, pointing out the good we see in them and sharing the things that we appreciate, maybe even a great story. It's not every day you hear someone say, oh, let me introduce my friend so-and-so. They failed high school math. They didn't make the college basketball team. This one time we got into a really nasty fight and you would not believe the awful things that they said to me. That's not very many introductions. So when Paul introduces Phoebe, he introduces her as a servant of the church. He asks that they welcome her in a way that is worthy and that they help her in whatever that she might need. Paul said she was a friend to him as well as many others. Paul goes on to talk about Priscilla and Aquila, his fellow workers in Jesus, who risked their very own lives and reputation for Paul. Paul goes on to share about 24 other people by name and what good they have done and what good he sees in them in a very positive light. Now, when we read sections of scripture like this, especially ones with very unique names, we tend to just kind of breeze right over it, right? but there's meaning behind it. Yes, Paul seems to be introducing some church leaders and friends, but he's also showing us what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So there's a few things that we can pick up from this section of scripture. One, followers of Jesus know one another by name. Two, followers of Jesus uplift one another. Three, Followers of Jesus greet one another. And four, followers of Jesus are inclusive. Before we dive more deeply into those four elements, I want to introduce to you the real side of Jessica. This isn't one of those atypical positive introductions. I'm not sure if you're familiar with StrengthsQuest um, by Gallup, but it's an assessment um, that has helped generations of college students, of leaders, of learners of all ages to discover and understand their talents. Once you take this um, lengthy assessment, they give you your top five strengths. I've always been delighted that positivity is one of my strengths. When I was reading about Paul uplifting his colleagues and sharing all these good things, I thought, wow, Paul is such a positive dude. I thought, wow, I am such a positive girl. Me and Paul, we're like this. Like, but recently, I've gotten a rude awakening. Marriage. Now, before anyone freaks out, marriage is great. I love it. It's awesome. This first month for Kiefer and I has been really great, and we've really enjoyed it. But marriage does something unique 
that is actually quite the opposite of strengths quest. It's like weakness quest, and it gives you like your top 100 weaknesses. Sometimes, something that um, has been highlighted in my marriage for me is that I am extremely critical, which has been a shock to me because I'm Mrs. Positivity. But as I've reflected back on my life, I can see this to be true. I'm a perfectionist, so I'm critical when things aren't perfect, or at least the way I think that they should be perfect. I'm critical of my work. I'm critical of how my home looks. I'm critical of myself. And now I get to be critical of Kiefer, right? <laughs> I was really struck by this realization one day when Kiefer was filling up a water cup, right? This is a great story. The refrigerator in our new apartment is super cool, and it has this option. You know how you fill up the water on your refrigerator? So you can set the cup down, and you can set it to how many ounces you want to fill in your water cup, and you press a button, and it just fills up. You could even turn around and go do something else. And so it's super nifty. So Kiefer goes to dispense his water. And Side note, I have already understood how many ounces each kind of our water cup uses, so I've kind of worked out, like I should have written it on a piece of paper and stuck it to the refrigerator for him, but maybe I will after you hear the rest of this story. Um, and so I had already figured it out. I don't think Kiefer had, because he picked the biggest water cup he could find, set it on the refrigerator thing, and I don't know how many ounces he decided he was gonna drink that day of water, but I think he was getting them all in one. And he sets it and walks away, okay? So you don't walk away the first time you're using this. You have to figure out. And all of a sudden, I walk by, and I notice that it's getting higher and higher and higher, and it starts overflowing. Thankfully, only a little bit of water filled over and not too much, and it wasn't a huge mess. But that's right when I caught the words in my mouth. I was on the verge of making some snarky, passive-aggressive comment to Kiefer about how can it be that difficult to just fill up a cup of water without overflowing. And right then it hit me. I might have the strength of positivity at times, but it bickers and it fights with my weakness of criticism more than I would like to acknowledge. Now, before you start penning sympathy cards to Kiefer, okay, just be aware that I am aware of this situation and it's something we're working on and growing through. So don't worry, he's fine. Um, but maybe I'm not the only one who needs to be aware of this, aware of how I'm interacting with those closest to me. As followers of Jesus, maybe there is something in this section of Paul's letter to the Romans that we can all learn from together. So coming back to the four things that we pull from this scripture, follow, followers of Jesus know one another by name. I'm gonna make it awkward for a second. You guys love this. I want you to just peek around the church where you're sitting, just kind of look at the people next to you, around you. Like, I'm telling you to do this so it's not awkward if you're looking at them. I'm telling you to look at them. All right, now you don't have to look anymore. You're welcome, just a quick peek. But do you know the people sitting around you by name? Maybe you've seen them a few times before. Maybe this is your first week or maybe it's their first week and so you just haven't met yet. But knowing someone's name is important because it says they are important. 
It says that you not only know they exist, but you know that they have an identity. The Bible puts a huge emphasis on the meaning of names. A name meant something so much more back then than it does today even, but I believe our names are still important. I'm in the midst of getting my last name changed on everything from Jessica Albert to Jessica Dooley, and as you'll see, the church is already caught up. I've gotten that one taken care of, but it means something more than just changing my passport my license, my tax forms, my social security, my bank statements, my car registration, you get it, there's a lot of things to change. But it means more than that. Our names are a huge part of our identity and who we are. In scripture, Paul points out that he knows the identity of his church. He knows the identity of these people. He not only knows them by name, but he knows specific things about them. Being a follower of Jesus isn't just a nice cliche you can give yourself. It's an involved life with an involved title. Jesus is an inclusive name, and being a follower of Jesus means that you are a part of community, and being a part of community means that you know the individuals in your community. Paul was able to introduce these people because he knew these people. So do you know the people in your community? Do we know the people who sit by us in church or walk past us in the foyer to grab a cup of coffee? Do we know the people in our connect groups? This week in the daily walk, I admitted that sometimes I struggle to remember names and I've had to learn to humble myself um, to ask because I'd rather embarrass myself about being, oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot your name, than just never knowing someone's name or maybe using the wrong name because that could be even more embarrassing. In the conclusion of his letter to the churches of Rome, Paul introduces and uplifts over 24 people by name. I was thinking of reading all these names off to you again, but I knew I would butcher them. And I also know that you heard them every single day this week in the Daily Walk podcast, and Patty did such an incredible job pronouncing all of them. So I thought, maybe I'll spare you um, this, and maybe I'll spare you the embarrassment of me trying to pronounce Aristobulus or something like that, because it's a it's a tongue tongue twister. But I'm a firm believer that scripture should not only teach us something, but it should move us to action. So today I want to challenge you to learn a few new names, to move past a place of just knowing someone exists and begin to know about their identity or even a crazier idea, introduce yourself to someone. It's wild. Followers of Jesus should know more about other people than the fact that they merely exist. And sometimes that starts simply by knowing someone's name. Number two, followers of Jesus should uplift one another. In this short section of scripture that we're going over, Paul is uplifting his friends and fellow servants of Jesus and the church. Paul was filled with the love of Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. And when he looked at his friends, when he looked at these servants of the church, he sees them in the image of God. Paul couldn't write a whole book about each of these people. He was too focused on writing books about Jesus. But when he did have the chance to mention others, he mentioned them in a positive way. 
He saw them for their unique gifts, and he was thankful for the things that they had done. In many of his letters and writings, Paul writes about these different gifts that each of us receive by the Spirit. He often talks about how we are all unique. We're a part of one body, but we have different parts. We're not all the same. Paul notes that although we may have different gifts and different calls to ministry, we work together in one spirit. This week in the Daily Walk, I asked the question if you are more prone to compliments or critiques. So this is something you're giving out. Are you more prone to give out compliments to people or more prone to give out critiques? And what do you think has caused you to be that way, right? And I had to come to the realization that I'm both or I might even be more drawn to the side of critiques. I think we hear the word critique though or critic and we cringe, right? No one likes to be told that they're critical. When I came to my own self-realization that I'm a bit too critical, it didn't feel good. It didn't settle well. It wasn't something that if someone tells you, man, you're a real critical person, they're like, thank you. That's what I was trying to come, I was really working for that angle. No one wants to be told that they're critical. And I wanna make something clear though. Both compliments and critiques can help us grow. They both have a place, they both have a purpose, but I think that sometimes we use them on level ground. We use them the same. If you lived in a world where you were only congratulated for your success or no one ever gave you some constructive criticism, you would never get better. You would never grow. If you were trying to play a new sport and your coach only complimented you on the few things that you were good at but never gave you ways that you could improve on the things that you weren't so good at, you would never get very good at that sport. You would never be able to play to your fullest potential. Just critiques or just compliments will never sustain you. Well, unless you grew up in England, because apparently then criticism will just suffice, according to JFIT. So if you listen to the Daily Walk podcast, and I encourage you all to do that because it's just great. Um, and Becky and JFIT just are incredible um, in going through these questions. But JFIT explained that the general um, culture between America and England is very different, right? He said that um, if you come up with an idea, right, a really great idea for something, in England, you would go to a group of friends or a group of colleagues and you would tell them about your idea, and they would come up with about 10 different reasons why it wouldn't work, right? And that's supposed to help you. But if you came to a group of friends or colleagues in America and you tell them your great idea, they would tell you 10 reasons why it will work. And so there's just a difference between culture sometimes also when we think about criticism and compliments. There's a huge difference though between criticism and constructive criticism. When I caught myself wanting to nag Kiefer about the water cup, which I really had to hold it in, I think I told him about it later, but I told him about it in like a like repenting kind of way, even though I hadn't even said it, um, I knew that that wasn't constructive criticism. That was just me criticizing him for no good reason other than just to say it. Can you imagine being in a relationship, a family, a classroom, where all you heard were all the little things you were doing wrong all the time. It wouldn't really motivate you, would it? A teacher friend of mine recently posted a photo on Facebook 
talking about um, what to say to kids in a classroom situation and the things not to say to kids. And I thought it was so interesting because there's always a way to put a positive spin on something without putting a child down. And so here are a few examples. Be quiet. Maybe you have heard yourself say this, or maybe you're getting flashbacks to when you were told be quiet. It doesn't make you feel good, right? So be quiet versus could you use a softer voice, please? Just a little, little tricks that we're going to use in Camp Sanitas as well. Another one was, I explained how to do this yesterday. That doesn't always make you feel good if you're a student and you think, oh, I should already know how to do this. It was already explained. So I explained this to you yesterday versus maybe I can show you another way, right? That's more constructive. Or this is a favorite. Do I need to separate you? When I was a student, that was used quite a bit on me. I was a chatterbox, and I would chat with whoever they put me by. They thought it was just because I was by my friends. They'd put me by a totally per different person I didn't know, and I would talk just as much. So do I need to separate you versus could you use a break? The kid might say no, though. <laughs> so that's kind of a sticky situation. Or this one's fun. What a mess versus it looks like you had fun, how can we clean up? And I love this one because Diane told me that when her kids would come home just super dirty, yeah, Kari remembers these days, like covered in mud, Diane goes, it looks like you must have had a great day. So I love that one, it made me think of Diane. And my personal favorite, it's not that hard, right? That doesn't make you feel so great, versus you can do hard things. Followers of Jesus help one another grow through uplifting one another's strengths. We need to uplift one another and not put one another down. We need to see the good in them. We need to praise people in public. And then, when necessary, in a loving way, we need to guide each other through some constructive criticism in private. We are all called to uplift one another more often than we are called to rebuke one another or point out faults. Of course, there are times when we need to call each other out. I've needed to be called out on my many occasions. We need to be set straight, but that should just be a small ingredient in this recipe. If you were baking chocolate chip cookies, it would be like if you use salt in the amount that you should have been using flour or sugar. It wouldn't be a great mixture. It should just be a small ingredient. The main ingredient should be love. It should be kindness. It should be pointing out the good in one another and verbally. I don't know about you, but I'm very critical of myself. I think most of the time we are our own worst critic. I feel pretty aware of my mistakes and the things I'm not good at. And I beat myself up when I feel like I've messed up or haven't lived to my expectations. The words we all hate to hear, but sometimes love to say, are, I told you so, right? Why do we hate to hear them? Because we already know that we were wrong. We don't need to hear it again. We've already told ourselves, I told you so. I think this is a reality for much criticism that is not meant to be constructive. 
We're not called to walk around pointing out each other's faults because most of the time, the person we're criticizing already knows. They already know they've messed up. They already know they could do better. For the most part, people don't need help breaking themselves down. For the most part, people need help building themselves up. We could all use more positive affirmation in our lives. So my question is, could we begin to create a culture of love, positivity, and uplifting one another? When people hear about us as individuals or as a church, as followers of Jesus, are we known for our love for one another above all else? Are we known for introducing one another with highest praise of knowing things about each other, of knowing each other's names? Are we known for greeting each other with warm embraces and welcoming others in? You might think I'm sounding a bit naive or unrealistic to want a world and a church showered in positivity or affirmation, but we thought a lot about that. We thought many greats were naive as well, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., that they were naive in seeing a world that could be better. You might think I have my head in the clouds, but as I read through this first part of Romans chapter 16, I couldn't help but to rebuke my own negativity. I thought to myself, if I focused on the good in others, if I constantly used my words to be building them up, what would change in my heart and what would change in theirs? Today at 2 p.m., we're going to be celebrating the life of Stephanie Marsh. We're going to be sharing our favorite memories and stories. We're going to be sharing about the things that she said to make us laugh, her kindness towards others. Um, a while back, about a month or two ago, I had sent her a card. And um, about a month ago, she sent me a card too, and it's this little one right here. And... Um, one of the things that she said at the very end, it was really sweet, and I think you guys will appreciate it too. Um, she was telling me how much she was liking things out there, um, and she said, I miss Boulder Church, though. There's no place like home. And um, I thought to myself, oh, this is such a sweet letter, and I was like, I'm going to reply to it as soon as I get back um, from my honeymoon. And I wished I hadn't. When we hear that news, um, I wish I wouldn't have waited so long to thank her for that card and to write back to her and to write prayers over her. We should never hesitate to send kind letters, to share a compliment, to speak love. We should never wait or put that off for a different time or another moment. We should always go forward sending the letter right then and there. We should always go forward saying the good thing we see in someone when we see it. We should never hesitate to share that good. We should also never hesitate to greet one another. Paul shares um, that they greet one another with a holy kiss. And so followers of Jesus should greet one another. Um, if you missed it in the welcome this morning, I stole Janelle's paragraph um, that she shared about greeting one another and about how we are to be people people. And she said, do you know the number one reason why people go and remain at any given church? It's not the worship service. It can be really great, but that's not the reason. It's not even the pastor, and I'm glad it's not. 
It's not the children's ministry or the programs at church. The number one reason why people stay at a church is the nature of the people who are already there. Friendly, caring people matter. Paul writes to greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Other versions of the Bible might refer to this as a holy hug or an embrace. I love how Stott puts it in his commentary on Romans. He says, our verbal greeting needs to be confirmed by a visible, tangible gesture. For myself, physical touch is at the top of my love language chart. Maybe it's for you, it's at the very bottom. (laughs) It could be. Maybe you are a devout follower of Jesus who reads and lives the Bible with the exception of verses like this, right? (laughs) The exception of greet each other with a holy kiss. You're thinking greet each other with a holy kiss, that is, oh, that does not sound good. Some of you even will tense up. I've seen this when sometimes someone does the welcome and asks everyone to get up and say hello to one another, give each other a hug, and I see some people just right there, you know, because sometimes it's not necessarily our natural love language. I hear ya. Not all of us are the same when it comes to hugs and kisses, whether it's our personality or or our culture. But I think there is so much to be said about our verbal greeting being confirmed by a visible, tangible gesture. In her article in The New Yorker, Maria Kononikova says, touch is the first of the senses to develop in the human infant and it remains perhaps the most emotionally central throughout our lives. Much research has been done on the importance of positive touch in our lives, saying that it makes us happier and even healthier. Videos from many classrooms across the country have gone viral due to their morning routine of greeting one another. I've seen them pop up all over, and I've just loved it. It's something I'm working on implementing even downstairs at our check-ins with Camp Sanitas, the connect groups for our kids. So as a kid walks into a classroom, there is a piece of paper, and it has an option of getting a hug, giving a high five, a fist bump, um, or a handshake. And so there's either a greeter of the day, which is either the teacher, or sometimes it's even another student that gets to be the greeter of the day. And as the kids walk in, they get to choose. They get to point at one. So if they're not a hugger, they can point at a high five or a fist bump, handshake. But they get to choose something to be greeted that day, to show, I see you. I see that you're there. I appreciate that you're here and you're important to me. Um, Lindsay Patrick posted one of these on her Facebook as well just yesterday, saying that she was going to put one of these signs up in her office, but add another line or two that said, you know, bring me a breakfast burrito or a cup of coffee. And I thought, that's a great idea. I'm going to add that to my list too. I think the idea of visible, tangible gestures goes along with the idea of really seeing someone. I don't know about you, but there's an embarrassing thing that happens if like, and it happens to me on a regular basis, if like someone's waving and you think it's to you, so you wave back and you realize it's not to you at all. (laughs) They're like, oh, actually so-and-so. Or even they'll say something like, I've been around someone, someone's like, oh, how's your week been? And I'm like, well, you know, man, I'm glad you asked. It's been a week and it's directed towards another person and it just feels so uncomfortable. Um, But when someone gives you a hug, 
right? When someone gives you a handshake, a high five, a fist bump, puts, your hand, puts their hand on your shoulder, you know that that's intended for you. It's personal, and personal is important. Number four, and probably the most important, followers of Jesus are inclusive. Paul was inclusive with his greeting. And today, even though we still struggle with it, we think it's kind of normal because he names women right alongside with the men. He addressed women as leaders and servants of the gospel just like himself. They did not take on a whole different category like, oh, and thank thank you for the women. Um, But rather, he recognized that we are a part of one spirit, of one church, of one team. In another one of his letters to the church in Corinth, Paul had written this from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in all people. Paul spent much of his letter to the Romans talking about inclusivity that Jesus brings He tears down these social constructs between the Jews and the Gentiles. In Galatians, he goes so far to say, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul was passionate about the love of Jesus, including us all. And if we say that we're followers of an inclusive Jesus, we must in return ourselves be inclusive. Being inclusive means not believing the lie that some of us are better than others, but that we are all in need of Jesus, and we are all in need of Jesus' love. As Seventh-day Adventists, we are firm believers that there's a spiritual war going on between good and evil. Um, Kiefer and I went and spent some time in Portland, and we got to go to Bridgetown Church, which is um, a church I follow and listen to their podcasts. Um, And it was really cool because actually getting to be there in person. And we hadn't been listening to the most recent sermons. um, But the series they were going through there was on spiritual warfare. And it kind of took us aback a little bit because this isn't a Seventh-day Adventist church, but a lot of their beliefs um, are right there with us. So in his sermon on evil, John Mark Homer addresses the fact that evil works on the foundation of lies. He quotes the Bible saying that we call Satan the king of lies. In the very beginning of the Bible, we see Satan causing Eve to question her own identity. She originally saw herself as made in the image of God until a line was drawn. Once sin entered our world, lies began to fly and infest every crevice of this earth. Jesus came to save us and to speak truth back into our lives, that we are sons and daughters of God, that we no longer are exiles or cast out, that we are included in the family of God. So when we look at ourselves, do we think of ourselves as excluded or included in the family of God? And when we look at others, do we think of them as excluded or included in God's family? What would it look like if we knew one another by name if we uplifted each other and didn't tear each other down, if we greeted one another in a loving and intentional way, what would happen if we were inclusive? If we loved the way Jesus loved, 
and invited others the way Jesus invited others. As we look to Thanksgiving this week, we have so much to be thankful for, but we also have so much that weighs heavy on our hearts. We have families who have lost their homes and their loved ones. It can be hard to be thankful in seasons of loss. But in the times of losing and feeling lost, we have a God and a Father who knows us by name, who lifts us up, who greets us with love, and who includes us. So let's find ways to live the way Jesus lived, to follow him in our words and in our actions, and to know people by name, to lift each other up, to greet each other with love, and to include one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to see your heart, to see your character through Jesus. We are so thankful for that love that he poured out to us. God, we are so thankful that even though we don't feel worthy, Jesus has made us worthy. So God, help us to extend that same feeling, that same love to others, that they are worthy, that we know them, that we see them, and that we love them, God. Give us the love of Jesus to be able to pour out to all people without hesitation. We love you so much, and we're so thankful for your spirit, for your son, and for you, God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.